I'm a fan-ish, I don't ever really think about it, but of the woman Elizabeth, but I am so not a fan of the monarchy. It's the, it's it's an evil idea that's time passed hundreds of years ago, and why does everybody still act like it's a thing? Well, uh, I don't want to get off on the discussion since we have a guest waiting, but uh, perhaps we'll involve Felix Light in the discussion. He is a reporter in London for CBS Radio News and the Moscow Times. Felix, it's always a pleasure. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Very well. So, uh, just so you know what you're stepping into, if you're, I have no idea what the coverage is like over there in England, but here in the United States, it's nonstop wall-to-wall on the cable news channels. Like, they haven't taken a breath in 24 hours, and it's all reverence for not only just the woman, which is fine, although the coverage is too much, um, but reverence for the whole idea of the monarchy and everything like that, which just, like, I can't wrap my head around. And I don't have a sense, I've never had a sense of... What the average Brit thinks about the monarchy. Do you have a, an idea of that, having hung out there in Great Britain a lot more than I have? Yeah, sure. Well, being a, a Brit, so to speak, um, you know, I think people would sort of think of the monarchy as, as almost a sort of, uh, you know, a national uniter. You know, you can sort of have your uh, problems with the idea of monarchy, but, you know, our monarchy is not, a, not in any way sort of powerful. It has no political role. Uh, and it's just a sort of... I guess it's a shared institution that, 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 you know, in principle, not everyone, but certainly I think the vast bulk of people uh, in the country can kind of subscribe to. You know, it's it's sort of, um, it's, it's, it's kind of the, the essence of, of the democratic system in a way, right? You know, the, the queen appoints the government, but she must appoint the government, or the, the king now must appoint the government. Uh, but he must appoint a government that, you know, is um, kind of responsible to parliament, right, and represents the will of the people in that way. So I think it's, you know, it's part of a democratic constitution, even though it's obviously a, a very old and, you know, aristocratic and some might say outdated idea. We've been discussing this uh, throughout the day, and I wish this had occurred to me earlier, but uh, there are quite a number of nations that have a political leader than a ceremonial leader. Uh, whether it's Japan or um, uh, Israel, uh, they have a, a president who's essentially just a, a ribbon cutter and a, a national symbol. And then they got the guy who does the nitty gritty. And I suppose it's it's something like that. Exactly. You know, there's no sort of uh, political power uh, invested in the monarchy at all. You know, there there are sort of very strict rules for what the monarch sort of has to do. You know, and they. Even though, you know, in theory, they're the sort of the, the, the top of the, uh, the top of the hierarchy, you know, they have to defer to the prime minister and everything. So, you know, it's so, sort of uh, a little more um, democratic than you might think looking out on the, from the outside, I think. Do you think it will keep on having the luster that it's had now that the queen is gone? Because there were some stories a while back that Prince Charles uh, had been talking about opening up um, uh, Buckingham Palace is a museum and living somewhere else and I don't know if those rumors were true or not and there are Australia and Jamaica making noises about okay now that she's gone we need to become you know our own thing uh, what do you think is going to happen there? Yeah well I think certainly you know there's a difference between kind of the institution of the monarchy uh, which I think is is still pretty popular in the UK at least and you know the Queen whose sort of popularity ratings I think in the UK and probably, you know, in the world and in the sort of the, the, the countries that have her as their monarch, uh, you know, is fairly sort of stratospherically popular, really, you know. Um, you know, there are obviously going to be problems once sort of, um, you know, 
there's a kind of a post-Queen monarchy, if you like. You know, certainly I think some of the other countries, you know, Australia, New Zealand, uh, certainly some of the Caribbean countries uh, might sort of abolish the monarchy. But, you know, I think it's fairly safe in the British context. You know, there are always going to be people who don't like it as much as other people. But I think that, you know, generally, you know, it's, it's a pretty firm part of the national identity you know it's almost like i don't know the constitution in america right like it's 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 part of you know what the country is you know and what it's founded around i guess interesting felix light uh, cbs radio news and the moscow times from london uh felix if we could uh, switch topics to the situation in ukraine for a moment there's a fair amount of reporting that Ukraine's counteroffensive, their utilization of some of the weapon systems the U.S. has gotten them has been pretty effective. I'm always a little cautious about over-exuberance. Um, what's your sense of the situation there and, and the momentum? Yeah, well, you know, it's a pretty dramatic counteroffensive that's been uh, sort of undertaken by Ukraine these last couple of days, you know. We've seen probably about uh, 50 mile advances, you know, uh, in this uh, very very strategic part of the front uh, in sort of East Ukraine, you know, Russian troops really falling back quite considerably. And what you, you know, what's really important here, I think, is that you have a very real risk that, uh, you know, a very large part of the Russian uh, force and a couple of key towns that are very, very important as sort of logistical hubs are going to fall into complete encirclement, right? So they are going to be unable to escape and they'll have sort of Ukrainian forces bearing down on them from all sides. So I think this could be a really, you know, uh, a really important strategic uh, moment in the conflict. You know, we don't know what will happen, but certainly, you know, the Russian media, which usually keeps a pretty uh, sort of um, aggressively sort of pro-Kremlin, you know, everything is fine narrative on everything, is not sort of, um, is not very optimistic right now. You know, there's a lot of, I think, acknowledgement online uh, on Russian TV even that there is a serious situation developing in this part of Kharkiv region. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's one of the most sort of dramatic times, I think, for this conflict in March or April. Yeah, so what caused the change? Is it the super cool weapons they've been waiting for they finally got, or what What led to this? Well, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the U.S. Uh, supplied weapons, especially these uh, HIMARS systems, which are basically sort of long-range rocket systems, have been absolutely uh, crucial. You know, they're letting the Ukrainians take out sort of bridges, uh, take out uh, ammo dumps, you know, long way behind the lines, and really sort of cutting the Russian supply lines to pieces there. Uh, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, a lot of it's just because the Russian, the, you know, the Russians have lost a lot of men in the course of this conflict, you know, whereas Ukraine has basically called up their entire male population to fight, you know, Russia is almost still trying to fight this like it's a, a small war in a sort of a land far away, you know, relying on its sort of professional volunteer army. You know, there's a little bit of... Um, little bit of an imbalance there you know ukraine has just got the numbers that russia doesn't at the moment and i think you know ukraine just kept probing and eventually they found a part of the front that was lightly defended and they just surged through and you've got this you know pretty extraordinary advance over the course of a couple of days so you know huge huge win for them i think at this stage felix light of cbs radio news and the moscow times felix uh, again it's always great to talk to you thanks so much for sharing your insights no worries thank you If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 